Hello and welcome to Inside Music, episode number 39. I'm your host, James Shotwell, and on this episode, I have heard your cries for Scott Heisel to return, and just like that, Substream Magazine Editor-in-Chief Scott Heisel has returned to Inside Music. Now, when we last spoke to Scott, he had just left his long-term job at Alternative Press Magazine, and he had a lot of great memories to share from that experience. But in the last six months, Scott has really settled into his position as Editor-in-Chief at Substream. He's running the print magazine. His first two issues with him as EIC are out now. He's working on the third. And in this episode of the podcast, we talk about how he's adjusting to his new job, the changing responsibilities that come along with it, as well as a lot of stuff that just kind of have to do with music in general. We spent about 20 minutes discussing the purpose of reviews in magazines today, which is a conversation that anyone familiar with the show has probably seen us carrying on online for a while now. I think it's a really great conversation for anyone interested in the world of journalism or magazines or just how music is covered today. Scott's a great guest, and I hope to have him on the show a few more times in the future, but I like to space it out because, let's face it, there's a lot of other people we should talk to. The music in this episode is provided by the band Common Rider, which is basically the side project or offshoot of Operation Ivy that no one ever really got behind. The band released two albums in the early 2000s, which Scott and I talk about a bit briefly during the podcast, and when we've wrapped up, I figured, why not share it with everybody? If you like what you hear, Common Rider have this fantastic album out called Last Wave Rockers, but it's really hard to find unless you buy it on like iTunes or eBay or Amazon used. If you want a regular copy, especially a vinyl copy, it's going to cost you. Just a little, you know, just two cents for you there. Anything else I have to say before we get to the show? Oh, Make sure that you're following Inside Music on Twitter. Yes, Inside Music, the podcast, has its own Twitter account. It's at Inside Music Pod. That's at Inside Music P-O-D. Follow that account so you can get updates on the upcoming guests. We continue the conversations from certain shows, and we also give you a lot of insight into the behind the scenes of what's going on here at Inside Music. It's not just me talking into a microphone to people over the internet. There's a lot more involved, and we're trying to get it all out there through the Twitter accounts. So... Make sure you follow us there. Also, if you can, subscribe and review the show on iTunes. I know that I asked you this last week and probably the week before that, but it's really important that we get those reviews up. You just hop on iTunes, give us four or five. No, yeah, five stars. Five stars would be perfect, actually. Give us five stars, tell people that you love the show, and it really helps us get a lot more exposure on iTunes because there's so many podcasts today. Everyone's fighting for attention. And yeah, I would just I would really appreciate it if you could help me out like that. Anyways. The sponsor for this week is Holix, the internet's leading digital distribution platform. Whether you're looking to get your music in front of the press or you need a little help fighting piracy, Holix has the tools you need. For more information on Holix and access to a free 30-day trial, visit www.holix.com. That's www.h-a-u-l-i-x.com. Okay, let's get to the show. The call blowing outdoors. Stop the communicates the elements of a war. Battle to establish the undivided self. Truth universal is the only real wealth. These are the days and these are the nights. Yours is the rhythm and the hard light. Breathe underwater, float above the ground. Direct hip rhythm section as the set sound. It's a rock redemption. There is no exemption. We will move it all night. Warriors, mountaintop rebels, last wave rockers, live at soul level, hard rhythm move, no we not run, we just walk along in a rough redemption. I actually thought we were going to be in trouble today because after yesterday's internet outage, I, came, I went outside this morning and my entire street, like they're tearing up all the sidewalk and replacing it, mm-hmm. except for like 
two hours, I was just like sitting here waiting for the sound of jackhammers because that's like the <laughs> su- that's basically synonymous with Boston summers. Yeah. It's like Red Sox, jackhammers, and waiting for football season, like this, <laughs> in that order. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, actually. I, I live uh, I live on a really quiet street, and uh, you know, it's you know, there's a couple of kids here, but it's pretty quiet during the day, and I'm working from home. And then about mm, two or three weeks ago, my neighbors across the street they had like a some sort of issue with the water pipe, like in front of their in front of their driveway. And so this city crew came out and just jackhammered literally all day and dug this gigantic hole in front of their driveway to like fix whatever the problem was. And it was just comical because I'm just sitting here like trying to work from home, and I just in my in my you know living room. And just right out the window, it's just the whole time. So I thought I had avoided it, but I, I had to live with it. Uh, are you in Cleveland? <laughs> yes, I am. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. So, like, what what part of Cleveland? Uh, I'm in the. It's a neighborhood called West Park. It's like Jefferson Park slash West Park. It's over on the like the western side of Cleveland. So it's not okay. suburbs, but it's like toward the suburbs. All right, like on the side with the airport. <laughs> yeah, actually, I'm like seven minutes from the airport. I'm I'm really close to the airport, actually. Okay, okay. Yeah. I, I, that's like I I know like three places in Cleveland, so <laughs> it has to be like in relation to the Rock Hall, okay, or the airport, or uh, Melt, basically. Uh, I'm I'm pretty much equidistant from the airport and Melt, and the Rock Hall is a little bit farther. So fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> so how have you been, man? It's been like months since we've spoken. Yeah, gosh, it's been about six months, hasn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. I've been great. I've uh, I've uh, really been awesome. <laughs> Life's been rad, so it's hard to complain. It's good. I'm glad that I didn't ask you that, and you're like, oh, man, it's been the worst six months of my life. <laughs> you have no idea. Where have you been? You haven't been here for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no, that's good. Uh, I wanted to get you on the show because last time we talked, you were kind of like between jobs, and you weren't really, you hadn't really gotten the substream thing going yet, so... Like I want to catch up. Like, what's what's been going on in the life of Scott Heisel? Like, what's it like to be the editor in chief and like running steering the ship here over here at Substream for the last six months? Yeah, man, it's a uh, it's a dream. It really is. Like, uh, you know, when when I parted ways with AP back in December, um, Jason McMahon, the guy who owns Substream and has been there for nine years when it was founded, uh, he reached out to me almost immediately just to be like, "Hey, what are you doing? What's going on?" You know and he and I started talking, and it was the holidays, so obviously it took a little while to kind of really touch base. But you know, I met with him a couple times uh, in like De- I talked with him in, Jan- in December. I met with him in January, and you know, he was just looking for someone to kind of take control of the magazine. Uh, you know, Substream has been around for almost a decade, but they haven't really ever had that kind of like unified editorial voice. It was a lot of people who were maybe uh, long on enthusiasm, but short on strong writing ability, kind of handling it. And so he wanted to kind of let the magazine take uh, the step it needs to take and kind of get out from being whatever it was viewed as to being a kind of its own entity. And so, you know, he really sold me on it. And he and I had a lot of similar opinions about where music in general was going, where the music industry is going, like what we think the role of the magazine could be. And it just kind of clicked. You know, I was not expecting to immediately fall right back into being in a magazine. I thought I might go the freelance route or talk about doing management or labels or whatever. But uh, it just kind of fell together. And it's honestly been uh, the best thing that's happened to me in quite some time. I've really, really had an amazing experience just being in charge. You know, it's uh, it's one of those things where I think everyone, everyone I've, I think everyone who's not in charge kind of thinks, oh, I could do that. I could be in charge. I could do it. You know, and you kind of get to that point where you're like, you want that opportunity. 
And I think what happens to a lot of people is they might get that opportunity and they realize, oh, no, I don't want to be in charge. I want to be the worker bee. Like people, some, a lot of people are fine being a worker bee. And I learned really quickly that being in charge is super fucking hard work and I love it. It's everything I wanted it to be and I'm very, very stoked about it. So, uh, yeah, it's been a great six months. You know, we've, we've put out two uh, issues of Substream under my leadership and I'm working on the third one right now. So it's been a great experience. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned Jason because I was actually going to go right to him because I just saw him. Well, I saw him in April at launch mm. conference in Pennsylvania and I had never met him before. Like I've had like many conversations. He's one of those times where like, you've had like a dozen conversations with a person and you still don't necessarily know what they look like. Oh, dude, <laughs> I have those. I, uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure you know Mike Cabillos. Yeah. Mike Cabillos, I've worked with him for mm, 14 years. I have never heard his voice. So, no, I haven't either now that you mentioned yeah, it. No. Yeah, Mike Cabillos, honestly, might not be real. He could be like a HAL 9000. I have no idea. <laughs> considering how fast he answers emails, he might be HAL 9000. It's true. But, uh, <laughs> anyway. yeah, I, told, I told you what you were saying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so I was, I was downstairs like the first day of launch, and he approached me. And he he's one of those he's so nice that he says hello in one of one of those ways where you automatically know you're supposed to know who the person is that's talking to you. Where you're like, yeah. oh crap, this person knows who I am. <laughs> uh oh. And I'm like looking for his name tag, and he thankfully is like Jason. Like he just like spits it out, and I was like, okay, well I know that you're not Tate, so you have to be the only <laughs> other Jason that I know by name. <laughs> um, and he immediately like just started praising you, like no joke. Oh he, wow. He was just, I was just like, so how's Scott working out? And he was just like, let me tell you, man, he is what, he is what we needed. And I was like, that's so awesome. It's good that I was like, so I'm happy to hear that you're like equally as happy as he is. Cause he was like thrilled about you in April. Yeah, I, I, I really feel like, uh, we, we've both kind of filled a void we each needed, you know, like it's, you know, the, the, the hardest thing to do, I think when you leave a company that you've been with for a long time, or even a short time. I would imagine is that you you know you want to find your worth again. You want to make sure that what you're doing matters, and you want to make sure that you're putting forth effort that's acknowledged, and the people you know that you 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 know you want to know that what you do is important. And with him, it's just been like that nonstop. It's been you know it's not like it's been like a nonstop praise fest, but it's like he's just been so stoked on everything that I've been bringing to the table, and it's been really so long since I had had that level of enthusiasm displayed toward my work, no matter what it was, whether it was putting out records or writing whatever it was like I haven't had someone be that stoked on me as a as a as a creative talent in a long time and that is just like the best kind of you know the best honeymoon you can ask for really in terms of like a new job which is like you are doing great work keep doing it you know it's really awesome so I'm sure at some point he and I will get an argument about something but it hasn't really happened yet so it's good i uh no i, I get that when i started at holix it was like matt the guy that runs holix was very into all the ideas i had and i had come from a this like failed music startup where like ideas were always stifled based on like all of the other problems going on and it yeah. it took me a little while to like get used to being like oh someone's excited about what i have to bring to the table like yeah. it, like it's not just me in my head being like this is a good idea yeah and really i'm, I'm sure it's the same way and it's probably the same thing with wherever, whatever the company was that you left too. Like it's just changing, you know what I mean? So whenever, even if you were giving the right ideas at the time, you know, for that company and they just couldn't see it, the fact that you've left now gives them a new perspective and then lets somebody else to come in. And like, it just, the wheels keep turning everywhere. So it's one of those things where I'm sure, you know, I don't know for a fact, but I'm sure that I would assume that AP is 
finding their new groove with me not being there. So it's like they brought in someone new and they're doing their thing. And so it's like it's one of those situations where it's like everyone kind of re uh, redefines what it is their their goals are and their motivations are. So it's good for everyone, really. You know, when, when you find that job that clicks for you, it means that the place you came from probably found it too. I hope. <laughs> you hope, you hope. Yeah, I hope. Did you, so you kind of touched on this a second ago. So when things were kind of wrapping up with AP, did you even like have the notion that you necessarily wanted to write right away? Like you wanted to keep writing or had you, did you feel a little burnout at that time? Or like, were you expecting to jump? Like you kind of touched on this, but you had, you said you weren't sure you were going to keep writing right away. Yeah. I mean, that's obviously that's what I do. You know, I, yeah, it's I've like been your writing thing. for, for God, 17, 18 years at this point. That's before I was in, when I was in high school, but, uh, it, you know, also like just like the, I was certainly burned out just in general on a production cycle. You know, the the, the challenge of being at AP, or I'm sure with any magazine that publishes monthly, is there's always a deadline. You know, I, I imagine I've never worked in a newspaper, but I imagine newspaper writers have it even worse because every day you're going to press. You know, and whether you're happy with it or not, you got to get something out there. And I, it's probably kind of similar to that old quote that Lord Michaels gives, where it's like, you know, Saturday Night Live doesn't go on the air because it's ready; it goes on the air because it's Saturday night, and you got to go on the air. You know, and so that's kind of what it was sometimes at AP where you're working on an issue and you might not be stoked with the content that you've created or you're not happy with how you wrote it or how it was presented or something might happen last minute that changes things, but you got to meet your production deal. You, you, you got to get that issue out there. And so it definitely can be a grind sometimes just as any production job is because no matter what, you got to get it out. There's, there's deadlines to meet. So what's been really great with, with Substream is that it's a bi-monthly publication. So we publish once every two months, which immediately lowers the stress pretty significantly on my end because I'm kind of the only person handling editorial. It gives me a lot more time. So, um, yeah, I didn't know what I was going to do at first. You know, I figured at some point I would be writing just because it's what I've always done. Um, you know, I, uh, haven't played in a band in 15 years, so it'd take a little bit of work to get a band off the ground. Um, but yeah, just one of those things where like the, when the opportunity is presented to yourself and you're like, Oh shit, I can still do this. I still have this skill set. You kind of get that confidence back. So it's worked out, you know. Um, I didn't know, though. I, I certainly didn't know the day after I left AP if I was going to be writing again. You know, I, it's one of those things where you're kind of like, well, let's see, you know, where the next couple weeks take you. I think it's fair to say that I think that's true for almost every writer. Like, if a gig ends in one place, you're you're not necessarily like, oh, I'm totally going to find another gig tomorrow. Yeah, because that's not how it works. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Like you're just like, well, it might be over now. Like this might yeah, be where yeah. the dream ends, and I have to be okay with that. Yeah, I, yeah. I better start applying for you know asphalt shoveling jobs or whatever. You know, good. Good to know. I don't have any usable skills in the real world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This speech com degree is fine. This will get me all sorts of stuff. Yeah, I, I can still put Excel on a resume, even though I'm not sure how to use it. <laughs> that makes two of us. Yeah, yeah. I actually, I confessed that to somebody the other day when they were, we were actually getting off to the label thing for a second. I was working on like my label accounting stuff and I was like, I, I honestly have put Excel on every job resume ever and I'm so thrilled no one ever asked me to do it because <laughs> I'm still, because I was always just a writer and I was like, I can market, so why, why do the numbers? Yeah, my, my wife makes fun of me brutally because her job is very spreadsheet heavy and it's a lot of number crunching and stuff like that and uh when someone even when people ask me what she does i'm like i don't know spreadsheets like her her job is a very kind of this complex job but uh i just i simplify it to spreadsheets because i do not know how to do spreadsheets in terms of like you know uh, equations and whatnot so she always mocks me whenever i'm gonna do my label stuff and trying to figure out stuff she'll always come in and like 
do the old uh, what's that old bit from SNL with Jimmy Fallon's like move, I'll do it. Just starts typing away. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I've been, I've been there. You know, we're we're we're. I have a bachelor of arts, not a bachelor of science. I don't need to know this stuff. Yeah, I never but, said I was good at math. <laughs> I took zero math classes in college, zero, and that's, I still graduated. That's impressive. Yeah, I know. Pretty good. <laughs> um, okay. I, I want to talk about, so I got the new issue, so, oh, I got the Warped Tour issue yesterday. I guess awesome. that's the newest one. It is, yes. Uh, I like it. You know, something, the first thing I, what I've always thought about cover photos for these Warped Tour issues, no matter the magazine, that I find, that always makes me giggle, is that it looks so good, and then you open it up, and it's like four f- different photos by four different photographers that you've spliced together. Yeah. It, so, it's like, how, is this the, would you say this is one of the more difficult issues you put together every year? Like, is this like the like more time-intensive one, because of uh, like the scope? I mean, well, here's the thing. Like, I had never had, you know, when I was at AP, we had an art director who was in charge of all photography. And so my responsibility was never to coordinate that. You know, and, I, and I, it's funny, you know, I should give props to Chris Benton, our art director at AP, or the art director at AP, because he does an amazing job. And his job was always to be like, oh, so editorial wants these nine people on the cover and they're all over the fucking world. Okay. And so then he has to make it happen and try to get as many shot in one place, blah, blah, blah. And so, it's amazing that he would never kill the editorial staff for the Warped Issue because we would always pick people that happen to be on vacation in Bali or whatever. It's like, well, we got to get a photo. So it's always a challenge that way. But uh, So for Subture, this is my first time um, being in charge of the, the photography elements as well. So you know, doing the main, the previous issue, that was easy peasy. Not a problem at all. Doing Warp Tour was kind of a pain in the ass. You, know? you have to kind of figure out where people are and figure out who's available when and get them together and it, you know, we had one shot in Australia. We had one shot in Toronto. We had three, let's say two shot in New York, one shot in Philly, and then three shot in Cleveland. I think that's right, which is, it's, it's ridiculous. Like it's just all over the place. Yeah. So, and, uh, you know, and we used four different photographers total, two of whom shot three each. So like they have like a, a, a rough continuity, but it's tough, man. And uh, I have to give props mainly to Mitchell Wojcik, who shot three of them, and also Andy Wells, who shot three of them. And then Andy Wells did a lot of the uh, the, com- the composition, too, putting everything together. Uh, so big props to them, because that stuff I do not know how to do. Uh, I wish I did. I can get, like, rudimentary stuff on Photoshop, but, like, to make things look nice, I do not know how to do that. So God bless good photographers who know how to do that kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah, it, it was you know, it was a struggle, but it was also exciting to like have that challenge and be like, oh, well, we want to do Joel from Being as an Ocean. Well, he's in Japan and Australia for two months. We're like, oh, fuck. So just figure it out, you know? And, and that's been really what's been exciting about it is like you get these situational challenges. You're like, well, how do I solve this problem? And so you just figure out a way to do it. And it doesn't matter if that's how somebody else wouldn't have done it because that's how you did it. And so it worked out. Yeah, no, it looks, it, no, it turned out really great, and I, I love it. The, the continuity is what really blew me away, because, I mean, I remember that AP has done some that have, like, a theme to them, like, they're all astronauts one year, I remember that yeah. cover, and that yep. was, like, so I can only imagine that that's even more of a pain to orchestrate, like, they need to all look alike, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have to rent, rent clothing or whatever, that kind of stuff. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, move it around. You know, yeah, and that's the thing, is that had we had more time and a bigger budget, like, the original concept for that was, you know, you kind of get it from the tags a little bit from the content, is that, I wanted to do a play off the usual suspects, you know, the movie, and uh, I wanted to have more of like a police lineup kind of look, and we just ran out of time. You know, I, I would have loved to be able to do more stuff like that, like having actual kind of 
a, a more mugshot kind of look and, you know, with like placards and stuff. And we tried to do it and we got like halfway there. We just, the clock ran out, unfortunately. So, so how did you choose who makes the substream work? Cause I imagine that it's it, for starters, you want to not have everyone that any other magazine is covering, right? You want to try to like corner your own set of artists to highlight. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and the, for me going into that, it was when I reached out, you know, I put together my kind of wish list. And when I would reach out to the people who work with those bands, I would say, you know, we want to do this, we want to have them on our composite cover, but we need to make sure that if we're doing that, they're only on our cover. We don't want them to be on four other Warp Tour covers this summer because we want it to mean something that they're on Substream's cover, that we're getting behind that artist. So, you know, there were people that we approached because of that that couldn't agree to those terms, um, which is a bummer because there were some artists that I really, really love that we didn't get to work with for whatever reason. You know, that's just, that's how the music industry is sometimes. Um, but I'm super, super thrilled with who we do have. And the funny thing is, is that like the bigger bands on our cover, not a problem at all. Done, locked in. It was kind of like the ones that, that like, were kind of like the smaller or up and coming bands that were like, oh, this would be really cool. And they'd be like, well, we're not sure if we can do that. I'm like, all right, then I'm moving on. Like, you know, I can't hem and haw and wait for you to decide what the value of my publication is because I know what the value is. And so, you know, I'm, it's one of those things where it's like, I'd rather just work with people who want to work with me. And so we were able to put together a really cool cover uh, that I think is very diverse stylistically. You know, we have everyone from August Burns Red to Pup, which is a pretty wide spectrum, you know? And uh, the thing is, I think all eight of those bands represented on, on, the, on the cover are great bands. And I think they're all must-see bands on Warp Tour. And I don't think any of those bands are playing into trends. I don't think any of those bands are gimmicky. I think those are all real bands that people can actually relate to, which is really what I think the focus of Substream is now. It's like, let's cover what's real and not focus on style over substance. And so that's really what I want to do with Substream, make that the mission statement. Yeah, I, I think you're pulling it off because I, I definitely, the first time I got the Aaron West cover, so when I picked it up, I was immediately like, oh, cool, Pup and Knuckle Puck. I mean, I'm not as big on Knuckle Puck. I know kids are way into that band, but Pup is a band that for like the last year, I was like, this band deserves to be huge. Yeah. So like, I, I, I feel like that message is coming across because I was immediately like more interested in checking it out because I was like, oh, we're talking about like the next generation now. This isn't just like the, the bands that are going to have 10,000 kids every day. Exactly. And that's part of the reason why we wanted to shoot Soupy as Aaron West and not as Soupy from the Wonder Years because, you know, everyone knows the Wonder Years. And it's, you know, they're a huge band. And I love the Wonder Years. Don't get me wrong. I will be there when they play Cleveland on Warp Tour. I can't wait to see him and hear new songs. But, you know, Soupy has this whole other thing he does, which is totally different from the Wonder Years and has, you know, a whole story to it and has characters. And if you even notice, he's wearing a Buffalo Bills jersey on the cover photo, which plays into the whole Aaron West character. If you listen to the lyrics on the record, there's a lot of references to the Buffalo Bills. And so it was a conscious choice for us to be like, this is new. This is different. And even though you might know his face, like this is something that's, that's you know, you should check out and it's, it's special. That was kind of the whole idea behind that. Yeah, I was actually going to mention that you took who's, I mean, he's arguably like the most recognizable of the bunch next to Shane, probably, and you put him in the back of the photo. I like yeah. that. Yeah, it's because, because you know, he's Aaron West. It's it's not, yeah. you know, it's, it's, we want it to be like a representation of his new side of himself that people should should explore. So, you know, and I, I was really, you know, that was one of those things, too, when we were talking about putting together the, the covers and, you know, having the composition and you know, these are debates that you never really think you'll ever have until you're like, oh, well, shoot, we do have all these people and who do we put where and who should be on which cover and should we mix everything up or should we have all the older people on one cover, the younger people on one, like who should be where? And you just, there are so many scenarios and so many potential cover models that we went through. 
And I'm really happy with what we did because, you know, we have a lighter one and a heavier one genre wise, but we also, for the large part, it's newer and older. You know, the other cover is, is largely skewed to bands that have been around a long time, like Census Fail and Silverstein and August Burns Red. And then you have kind of being as an ocean as the kind of newer representation there, but even they've been around for, you know, five years, but then the other cover is a lot newer artists. It's all bands that have one record out, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot kind of more exciting stuff that's happening right now. And that's, what's cool about it, you know? And I also love the fact that we could put a woman front and center. You know, I think Mariel from Candy Hearts is a really strong female role model and uh, can make a lot of impacts, make a lot of impact with girls at Warped Tour. So I was all about placing her, you know, front and center, giving her that spot to really show people that, Hey, like women can do this too. This is not cute dude mugly. You know, this is women are very much a part of this. Yeah, I've I haven't yet to see Candy Hearts. That's like my cross to bear. Really? Yeah, I've yet to see them, but I love them. I think the song Michigan is one of the best songs I heard all last year. Yeah, the song's great. So I'm excited to see them on Warp Tour. I don't, I like, but I know like nothing about that band beyond just having listened to their music. But yeah. uh, I definitely, yeah, she's. I think she's a good person to stand out because I feel like, especially like last year, Warp Tour, like they had, they have, they always have a good few female performers, but it tends to be the like the pop leaning ones that get a little bit more notoriety for whatever reason. So I think having Candy Hearts on there, you're like, no, they're just girl punk artists too. Yeah, yeah, I and mean, who are? I mean, they're doing the tour in a van. You know what I mean? Like they're they're not a tour bus band. They are slogging it out in a van. I uh, if, if you I, I've been following their exploits on on Snapchat because they have a Snapchat. I think it's Candy X Hearts is their Snapchat. But uh, yeah, they're crammed into a fucking pa- fifteen passenger van, and that's as, as someone who's done Warp Tour before in a bus. Warp Tour is hard as shit. As someone who has seen many friends do it in a van, it's brutal in a van. So they're not, you know, there's no major label money being thrown behind this band. There's no whatever. Like they're a punk band. They might play poppy songs, but they're a punk band in ethos. And uh, it's it's cool to have that out there and represent that and not have it be all about, you know, Breakdown City or whatever. I, I would absolutely hate to have to do Warped Tour in a van. Like, having done it on a bus, I would never, I don't think I could ever do it in a van. It's Yeah, it's, I mean, I have to imagine it's the most brutal thing you've ever done. I mean, like, it's just, because not only is it like two months and you're driving everywhere, and some of the drives are just absolutely insane. Like, when you're doing the West Coast stuff, those drives are ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. But then you have, like, it's 120 degrees every day. And just like, and, oh, oh, God. No, oh, I would, I would never, I would never do Warp Tour in a van. Ever, ever, ever. A bus was hard enough. Yeah. So. I remember when our heat, when our air conditioning went out in Atlanta, it was like 107, and I wanted to die on our bus. I can't imagine oh. being like in a van. Oh, that sounds, that sounds terrible. <laughs> or like getting off stage and not having like somewhere to go that has air conditioning running 24 yeah. 7. Like, that's, nope. that's the reality of like two weeks. Yeah, basically, yeah, you just you sweat. You wake up and you sweat and you go to bed and you sweat and you sweat when you eat and you sweat when you drink. It's just everything sweating. So Yeah, you can never drink enough water. It's amazing. Oh yeah. It's yeah, it's it's crazy. I remember like going through when I did warp tour. I did warp tour two thousand eight, I think it was. It was the year the Angels and Airwaves was on warp tour. So it was Angels and Airwaves and like Reliant K and Gym Class Heroes. I think that was two thousand eight. And I just remember like I consumed so much water and still like it was never enough. <laughs> you know, you never even go to the bathroom because you're just drinking so much water, but you sweat it right back out. Yeah, that's the thing. You never go to the bathroom. That's the weirdest yeah, part. It's, it's wild. It's absolutely <laughs> wild. So. I'm glad that we both have that, that like we've been on a bus, but never do it in a van thing. Because I remember even like like a weekend of being on a, on the bus, I was like, I can't even imagine being in the van. I would just, no. Yeah, and then I, I, did, taste, I did Taste of Chaos before too on a bus. And like, 
that was miserable for all the opposite reasons. It's just cold. Everywhere you go is freezing cold. And like, and, and I, I joined Taste of Chaos. I did the year that it was Deftones and Thrice. And I joined the tour a few weeks in because we were kind of rotating people in and out for AP. And I remember by that point on my bus, it was like a slave ship. So there were, you know, 19, 20 people on my bus. Everyone on the bus, A, was already sick. And B, they all hated each other by that point. Because it was like mid-tour. So everyone's just on each other's nerves or whatever. And so I remember coming in there being like the new kid transferring to a new school and just looking around like, oh, everyone's got like bronchitis and everyone wants to murder each other. So it was a it was a rough go of it, to be honest. <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, and, then, and then some asshole stole my hoodie. That that's what got me even worse. Is that I like took my hoodie off one night to like do something at my booth. I turned around, and someone stole my hoodie, and I'm like, why would you steal someone's hoodie? That's not cool. So I had to go get a new hoodie so I wouldn't freeze to death. Do you are you excited about uh, the new Taste of Chaos? Do you think maybe Dude, you guys will do something with that? I I would love to be a part of it. it the lineup is ridiculous. It's like, ridiculous. It's, it's awesome. It's just it's a little weird that it's called Taste of Chaos because there's some very non chaotic elements. Like I would never associate the All American Redux with chaos. Uh, but it's cool. That there's still some bands from the original incarnation of it, like Thrice and. Uh, did Glassjaw ever play Taste of Chaos? I'm not sure. I asked myself the same thing last night. Maybe once, like one of the very know. early ones. I, I know Story of the Year did. I know uh, Thrice did. I think Finch may have at some point. I know that band Adair played all the time. Um, so it's cool that there's still like that kind of basis of it. But I love the fact that it's like Dashboard and Jimmy Eat World and All American Redux and Saves the Day. And like that's if I can get out to California in October. I might just want to go to that and the other one. The It's Not Dead Festival are just fucking ridiculous. Both oh, those times yeah. are amazing. It's not dead. I forgot all about it's not dead. Yeah. And like, I'll tell you what, man, we posted news about that on Substream yesterday. And those were our, those have been our two biggest stories all week were those stories. It's insane. Like people care so much. And even like the, actually the it's not dead one right now has done almost three times as much in terms of more than the taste of chaos story, which has also done a ton of traffic. So like, People are so stoked on these, and the lineups are so good that it's just great that Kevin Lyman could finally do that and be like, here, you bitch about Warp Tour being whatever it is, here is this. Shut up. <laughs> which I have to imagine is like part of the motivation, which is like, stop complaining, Warp Tour is for kids, this is for you. Enjoy it, you know? If there's ever a chance for an op Ivy or Common Rider reunion, it's it's oh. not dead fest. <laughs> oh, don't tease me. Don't tease me. That's the rumor right now for Riot Fest, too, is that the, the rumor for Riot Fest is either Jawbreaker or Operation Ivy. Oh, and I would Yeah. Like they, I mean, that, get, that gets rumored every year. I interviewed Jesse Michaels from op Ivy a few years ago when he was putting out that Classics of Love record, which is fucking amazing. Mm -hmm. And I said, I was like, you know, what are the odds? Like, is it ever going to happen? And basically, he's like, no. He's like, why would I want to do that? He's like, I wouldn't want to subject our band to the music industry now he's like when we were a band it was so real and so honest and you know we were we broke up before anyone cared to bring that back now where it's a world of tour managers and line checks and guarantees and light shows and who wants to do that so i i feel like that's a little bit less likely unless he has some crazy bill that comes up that has to get paid i don't know um i think jawbreaker is probably more likely but i think they're both like 15% versus like 7% if they're going to happen. But I'd love to see them both. Don't get me wrong. So Blake, if you're listening, I'm into it. <laughs> I uh, I tried to do a, a Common Rider, their first record. I wanted to press it again for Antique and I reached out and they were so 
not uninterested necessarily, but they were just like, oh, we don't, I mean, they're like, I don't know who even has the masters or it was just like, that was a thing that happened before and we've moved on. Like we've all moved on. Why yeah. haven't you? And I Basically, was like, but yeah, haven't exactly. you heard this record? It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, ah, I want to live in the past some more. Let me live in the past. Come on. Well, I feel like, I mean, Op Ivy is one thing. Common Rider, I was, uh, I was always like, it, they could have been so much more and they never got yeah. the chance. Yeah, I never saw Common Rider, actually. I, I don't think I ever got to see them play. They only run for a couple of years. Yeah, they did two so, records and then yeah. they were out. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Maybe, that, that'd be funny. Honestly, it'd be really funny if that's if Jesse Michaels got them back together and not Op Ivy. That'd be really interesting. Just to screw like, with people. Yeah, I'd be like, this is the reunion you've all been waiting for. Jesse Michaels is back with Common Rider. And people are just like, God damn it. <laughs> yeah, and they're not even playing the first album, which everyone loved, that second one that yeah. was like weird and new wave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> this is what you want. Here you go, yeah. Just take it. Yeah, yeah, that would be hilarious. And I wouldn't put it post- past Riot Fest to be like, yeah, we're into that idea. <laughs> they're all about trolling people. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. How was, uh, you guys were real involved in, was it Spring Fling? Is that what that was called? Last yeah. month in May? How, yeah. was, how did that go? It went awesome. I mean, it was a great lineup, you know what I mean? Uh, the only bummer was that uh, Crime and Stereo had to cancel like the day of because oh, their, their drummer couldn't make it or something. I don't know what the deal was, but uh, everyone else, you know, played and was great. And it was, you know, Story So Far and Movie Life and Pentimento and Gates and uh, Four Year Strong, Me Without You. Um, it was great, man. We, you know, it was uh, probably, I would say around 2,000 kids were there, if I had to guess. Um, the building that it was in, is a, like a multi-stage building, like a multi-venue building. And so there was like a huge theater, which holds, I think, roughly 2,200 or something like that. And then there's like a smaller side room that holds like 500. And there was like a little hallway stage they kind of erected. So there were a lot of people there. It was very busy. Um, you know, we loved being there in terms of like, like presence. Like people, you know, got to be a lot of people and, and introduce substitute to a lot of people who hadn't heard of it before. So we were really stoked about that. But uh, yeah, it was great. I mean, so many awesome bands. And the people who put that together, uh, it's a company, company called Bravo Artist, which is based out of Cleveland and Columbus. And they're just a big promotions company. They're putting, putting on a lot of shows in Cleveland and Columbus and are doing a great job. And I really can't wait to see where they take it next year because I feel like it's only going to get bigger. And hopefully we can still be involved with it. So Yeah, that was like your first like uh, big involvement since you got with Substream, wasn't it? Like your first, yeah, like, it the was. Big thing. It, that, it absolutely was, yeah. And so we have more coming too. We're actually sponsoring... Uh, the Today's Mixtape Festival, which is in Long Island in August. Yep. And that's uh, like Every Time I Die. I think Movie Life's playing that too. It's Real Friends, State Champs. Uh, I think Straight From the Path is playing, Iron Sheik. So it's a bunch of awesome like kind of Long Island bands. and So we're, we're going to be going out for that too. Um, and that's what I want to kind of do with, with Substream is kind of get us to those festivals that aren't the massive ones, you know? Um, you know, everyone wants to sponsor Riot Fest or sponsor uh, or Lollapalooza or Bonnaroo or whatever, you know what I mean? Or even Warp, Warp Tour to an extent. But I like having these more kind of localized fests that kind of better encapsulate what a region is into and bring something to that where it's like this is stuff that we care about and we want to spread on a national level. So let's go there and make sure these people know that we're kind of on their team, you know? Like we're not trying to just be like an infiltrator. Um, so that's what's really important to me is kind of finding those – smaller festivals that still have a, a real sense of community about them, which I think that today's mixtape is definitely one of those for sure. You know, it definitely feels like um, it's been around for, I think, four years, and uh, they always have sick lineups. You know, it's, it's all sorts of bands have come through there. So I'm really stoked about sponsoring that too. Are you guys uh, sponsors for Fashion Meets Music? Or are you involved in that one at all? I know that's we kind are, of up your yes. alley. 
Yes, we are involved with that too. Uh, we, we do have a sponsorship package with that too. So that's really cool because that's like, the, the nice thing about that is that it, there's a d- diversity in what they book. You know, you have everything from Young the Giant to Taking Back Sunday to, you know, what's that band called? People Mover, that weird band. Yeah, so yeah. Like, yeah, so they're really doing a lot of cool stuff there too. So we'll have a presence there too. And, you know, that's in Substream's backyard. That's in, in Columbus, which is where Substream was founded. So we're def- we'll definitely be there in September as well. We're excited about that. I uh yeah, Holix is spawn we haven't really revealed it, but yeah, we're doing that for Holix as well. So I'll be I'll be out in Columbus. Oh cool time of year. Yeah, I'm excited. Ludicrous, are you kidding me? I'm there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, and uh yeah, I like the I do the small fest thing too. That's kind of been uh, when I was at South by this year, like I love going to South by, but while I was there, I was talking to Jesse Richmond and I was like, what I'd really like to do for like the rest of the year, like I'll go to riot fest probably, but I, I want to cover and like highlight more of the small fests that have like something unique to offer. Cause like, that's what I'm curious about. Like I want to yeah. go to like the, like you said, like the regionally supported, like I'm going like a Detroit has don't call it a fest and they're getting like a see you next Tuesday reunion in September. Oh, wow. And like, who cares about a see you next Tuesday reunion? <laughs> but, but yeah, Michigan does. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, so like, you know, like something like that really intrigues me where I'm like, okay, so this is like a festival made for like maybe 3000 people. Like right. that's like the total target audience. Like exactly. that's way more interesting to me. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that because it's just, it feels more special. It's not trying to be something for everyone. It's just trying to be what they believe, you know, it's, it's what they want it to be. You know what I mean? So it's not like trying to overextend its reach essentially. So I, I can certainly get behind that. Uh, what is uh, what do you guys have with Warp Tour? People can get subscriptions and all that jazz on Warp Tour. I oh assume. yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. We should it starts yeah, today, so I guess we should bring it up. That's true. Yeah, Warp Tour starts today in Pomona, so we will be on the tour for almost the entire summer. We're actually we're dropping off a few days at the very end, uh, just to logistical stuff. But uh, we'll be there pretty much the whole summer. We're going to have bands signing at our booth all summer long. Uh, we have all of our cover stars signing. So you got Silverstein, Census Fail, you know, Being Is an Ocean, uh, Candy Hearts, you know, uh, Knuckle Puck, all those bands will be signing at our booth, as well as um, some other really good bands. Like we have Man Overboard doing some signings. We have 68 doing some signings. We have Beartooth stopping by for a few. It would be really cool. So we'll have that every single day at Warp Tour, which will be exciting. Plus, we'll be selling, you know, we'll have cheap subscriptions, cheap magazines, uh, cheap t shirts. You know, we're giving away free bags. So yeah, come to the Substream tent every day. Uh, we'll be tweeting out where we are every single day. If you go to twitter.com slash Substream, you can see all of our details there. We'll post this stuff on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and everything. So, But yeah, come out. It'll be really exciting. So you know, um, we have this awesome girl named Rayanne who's working our booth all summer long. She will happily uh, make you a deal. So come on out and bring some money. And that's my shill for the day. So <laughs> I like that. I like that. I uh, it's, okay. I like that you brought Man Overboard because that reminded me. One of the things I really want to talk to you about this episode, not necessarily that band, but I wanted to talk to you about sure. how you go about you know reviews for Substream because like I my like my big torch in 2015 has been like I hate when I open a magazine and there's like 20 reviews and 18 of them are like four and four or four and a half stars and above and I'm like. Um, how I'm just like there's not not every album released this month or in the last two months has been a four, has been a, like an eight out of ten that's just not sure. possible yeah um, and I noticed in the last two episode issues of Substream you guys have a six you've had a four so like I don't know what is your view on that like it seems like you're not a you're not like some some seem to just be doing lip service when it comes to like the review section whereas it seems like yeah. Substream you're actually trying to say something about the music <laughs> yeah it's it's you know it's a challenge in general just because reviews in in today's world are almost for music are almost pointless it, which sucks to say because i am a reviews guy and i think you're a reviews guy too but to most people people don't 
I think people don't read reviews to discover new music. They read reviews to see if their belief is agreed with or disagreed with. And so they can get mad about something. You know, it's they heard the new whatever record, they love it. So they're going to go read a review of it on Pitchfork to see if Pitchfork likes it. And if they don't, they'll get mad about it. You know, um, I think rarely, at least in my circle and my sphere of influence, I feel like a lot of reviews don't necessarily turn people on to music, which is, which is, it sucks because that's the point is to be like, this is really good. Check it out. Or this is really bad. Don't check it out. You know, but we live in a world now where all music is instantaneously available to your phone. Like you can, you can hear it yourself. So if you want to hear the new Cancer Bats record, you can just go stream it and done. And it doesn't matter what we say about it, whether we like it or not, because you've already made up your mind. You've already listened to it. Um, that said, I think it's important to have a critical discussion about music. And I feel that even though, you know, the market that AP appealed to and the market that Subtrim appeals to, which is still widely younger people, like high school and college age people, even though they might not be as well-versed in music history as people in their 20s and 30s or an older, or might not have as much eloquence to uh just in terms of what they're writing, it's still important to have that outlet and to express why you like what you like or why you don't like what you don't like uh, because it makes you a better critical thinker. So I've always tried to push that level of it. Um, regarding the whole thing about like you know music being good or bad uh, and reviews having you know high scores or low scores, you know it's it's I've been on both sides of that fence because there were certainly months at AP when I was a music editor, uh, which I was for nine out or eight out of my 10 year run there uh, i was in charge of the reviews and so there were certainly months where everything got a good score and it's like well what do you do do you purposely change scores to make it look like things aren't as good as they are and you know i came at it from a different uh a different perspective which is i would not try to assign music that i didn't think already had some level of inherent value so i'm not going to sit there and assign some band's demo tape because it's going to get torn to shreds. I'm not going to sit there and assign some awful, you know, sub broken side garbage because it's, you know, we all know it's bad. Um, there's no challenge in saying this sucks because we all know it sucks. Um, so I would hope that if I was choosing to assign a review that it carries some, some value already, you know, that people have tried to create something, you know? And so then my mission as an editor is to find a writer who can best analyze what it is they're trying to create, um, which is why when I hit up my writers and say, "Hey, I'm looking to have these things reviewed. What do you think? Like, what are you into? You know, what pitch me on something?" Uh, because I don't want to just assign a review to a random person because they might not get it. I remember one of the biggest pet peeves I ever had was when I first started AP and our old reviews editor would assign stuff out, and he assigned uh, Emery's "The Question" and Cartel's "Chroma." Two albums of which I think are great, uh, really for their genre, excellent albums. And he assigned them to a writer who primarily covered like punk rock for us, like Screeching Weasel, you know, No Effects, whatever. And she didn't like either one of them and gave them both bad scores. And I was just like, why? Like, this is why would you do that? Like, why would you assign, you know, a, a super shiny pop punk record to someone who only listens to like the Ramones? Like, there's no crossover there. Like they're not, obviously they're not going to connect with that, and so I'd, I would rather find the person that's the right fit for that, and that way they can say like, okay, I like this stuff, and this is good, or this is not good, because what benefit is there to have someone who doesn't understand the music not understand the music? 
So that's always been my kind of thing where I'm trying to find the right people. That said, I totally tell my writers, I'm like, if something isn't good and you can eloquently tell me why in 150 words, do it. I have no problem running bad reviews, especially at Substream. I think it's, I think it's important to not blow smoke up, up everyone's you know, butts. But uh, that's, just, that's just my personal you know, uh, policy at Substream. I can't speak to other magazines anymore. So <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough. That, yeah. That's fine. Um, do you have any that you regret? Because I know you've given some pretty, some pretty low scores in your day. I always wonder if critics ever like, look back and they're like, I think maybe I was too harsh on that band. You know what's funny? Um, even just like, uh, I was doing a podcast. Uh, here's my other plug. I have a podcast. It's called Best Midwestern. It's new since yeah, la- yeah. you talked about starting it last time. Yes, yeah, it's true. So it's called Best Midwestern. It's Facebook slash Best Midwestern, Twitter slash Best Midwestern. You can search for Best Midwestern on, uh, on uh, iTunes. And I do it with my friend Greg. And we actually recorded an episode two days ago. We were talking about Motion City Soundtrack. And we were talking about the new single. And then we did a whole, a whole retrospective of their first album, I Am the Movie, which I love. And he found my old review that I wrote for that in 2002 on Punk News. And he's like, you only gave it three and a half stars. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. I'm like, well, I blew that one because that record rules. That record's awesome. And so even something like that, you're like, man, why did I give that such a such a middling score when I could have given it higher? Um, I'm sure if I were to go dig through all the reviews I wrote during my tenure at AP, there are reviews that I no longer agree with. Um, whether I would either give them a higher score or a lower score would depend on the record. And that just happens because, you know, your tastes ch- grow and change over time. Um, but cer- I'm, certainly there are things that I probably graded too generously um, based on who knows what, based on whatever was in my brain that day, based on you know their bass player being really nice to me or whatever, you know just, that's the kind of stuff that kind of works works its way into your subconscious without even realizing it. You know, like I remember I gave when I was still writing for Punk News years ago, I reviewed the second Midtown album, Living Well is the Best Revenge, and I gave it like a four star review, which I do not stand by. That record's not a four star record in my opinion. It starts off really really good and then it falls off really really hard and then it picks up around like track nine, but. Um, and I regret that. It's just like, you're like, cause and I, and I was, I wrote this review and I was like, they're so nice. They're such good people. And I'm like, that's bullshit. Like that doesn't matter at all. Like you're not reviewing the artist, you're reviewing the art. And so, uh, th- those things you learn over the years, trying to focus more on the actual quality of what's being created versus, versus how nice the person is who created it. It happens. I uh, I will never. I think it was you. Did didn't you? Are you the one that gave the first Alessana full length a half a star? <laughs> yes. And you said that they should sell their instruments. Ah, <laughs> uh, that might have been a different band. I that was a change of pace. I, I remember reading that first Alessana uh, for on Frail Wings for AP, yes, and it has yes. half a star. And I I remember reading that, and I was so proud. Not even I I agreed with the review at the time, but it, in, it encouraged me to be okay with being like. Oh, you can you can say something hard. You can feel this way about a record and tell people about it. Yeah, it's you know, and and uh, I will say that over the years, my super negative blast reviews were whittled down. You know, I, I wasn't <laughs> not, not 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 that I wasn't allowed to do them, but it just it wasn't it didn't make it wasn't smart to do it. You know, just because it's kind of it's kind of assholeish. It's a know? game you have to play. Yeah, and, and that's you know and especially at that level, you know, AP was a huge company and still is a huge company. And, you know, you have a lot more, there's a lot more politics involved with that. Whereas Substream, it's me and Jason, you know? And so uh, he's not going to sit there and say, well, you should give this a seven as opposed to a six or whatever. Like he doesn't care. You know what I mean? He, he's not, he's not a uh, micromanaging, you know, my review scores. Cause he trusts me. He knows that what I'm going to do is put out a product that best represents 
what Substream is, you know, artistically and creatively. So that's where we are with that. Um, yeah, the, I think the review th you're thinking of, though, is actually a band called The Change of Pace who were terrible. They're fucking atrocious. And they were on Immortal Records. And there what's the, what's the name of their fucking album? I can't even remember. Um, the cover art had like a kid sitting in the corner with a dunce cap on. And they were just they were just a shitty screamo band. They were just a super shitty pop screamo band. Their very first song on the album was a complete direct ripoff of Cross Out the Eyes by Thursday, like that riff. That was it was a complete rip. And so I I, I ripped them apart in the review. I'm like, this is garbage. You know, I was like, I, I wrote like a letter to the band. I was like, you should, I was like, you're young, you're just out of high school, probably haven't gone to college yet. So take my advice, stop being a band break up, sell your instruments, go to college, get a good job, retire when you're 65, golf on the weekends, move to Florida, but for all this holy and decent, do not be in this band anymore. And uh, that was the review, and it ran pretty much unadulterated, and uh, it got a lot of feedback. <laughs> I was harassed by the band members for a long time via Instant Messenger on AOL. They were not super happy with, uh, with my words, so that was fun. Had a nice run-in with them at Warp Tour one year. Um, but whatever, you know, it's that's that's what you know when you're 22 and you don't you're full of piss and vinegar. That's what you do. Well, I know I respected it. I thought it was hilarious because yeah. Mean, I, but I think you're right. There's also a part of you that I think I, I still hear music that I feel super harshly about. But my desire to necessarily like put the pen to paper and like explain why it's so awful is not as like you know it doesn't have the same ferocity that i used to have about it where i'd be like i have to tell the world about the wrongdoing well yeah and, and the thing it's different now too because you know 10 15 years ago a bad review could lead you to avoid something because you wouldn't go spend 15 dollars on it at a store that was a point of review in, in in the punk sense and like in the punk zine sense whether it was maximum rock and roll or punk planet or hit list or whatever everyone had these capsule reviews and it was basically being like this is good, mail order it, or this is not good, don't mail order it, because that's how you got your records back then. And so it served a purpose to be like, don't spend your money on this, you're not going to like it, trust me, you know? But now we're in the world where if you read a bad review of something, like a really just eviscerating review, what's the first thing you want to do? You want to go on YouTube or Spotify and listen to it to see if it's as bad as they say it is. You want to see if they're right, you know? And so that's it's almost doing the opposite intention, which is, you know, the the purpose of writing a bad review is to say, don't listen to it. But because we live in a world where everything's so convenient for music, it immediately makes you want to listen to it. It's almost like saying, don't touch the red button. You're going to touch that fucking red button because it's right there. You know, I hadn't really thought about it before like that, but you're, you're absolutely right. Like, and also I think like, um, you made a point earlier where it was like you would read the review to figure out if you should buy it. But now I guess you could see it as some people might read the review and be like, oh, this person hates the band that I love because there's, you know, the way the access that they have to the same material right away, they could be like, no, they're stupid. This I love this record. So now I'm not going to visit this thing or buy this thing. Anymore exactly. Because exactly. they don't like the thing I like. Exactly. And that there's this, there's this weird uh, backlash in recent years toward people who review music, which is how dare you? How dare you insult this? It's like, well, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know this because I don't review films, but do film reviewers get that kind of negativity thrown at them where it's like, how dare you insult Godzilla or how dare you insult Jurassic Park 7 or whatever? Like, do, do, do people care that much about what film critics say in terms of like negativity? Because I feel like with music, it's nonstop. 
Well, I, I mean, sometimes it depends on the movie, but like what what film has that music doesn't necessarily have yet, or at least not as prominently, is that like when someone doesn't like a movie, they can quickly hide behind like a social issue they take with it. You know what I mean? Uh, like a lot of people that don't like Jurassic World, they don't have to be like, oh, I don't like Jurassic World because the story or whatever. They can be like, it's sexist. And then like you kind of the conversation kind of hits like a roadblock. Where right. You, where you can't be like, well, then why? So you hate it because it's sexist. That's stupid. Then you're telling them like sexism, you know, blah, 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 blah. Right. With music, right. they can they can't be like, well, it's racist. And then you'd be like, oh, well, I guess it's racist. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that that happens. Like I run into that with film all the time. Like I'll walk out of a screening. I walked out of a dope earlier this week and me and one guy liked it. And another critic, we looked at him and was like, what did you think? And he was just like, meh. And we're like, why? And he's like, seemed kind of racist to me. And the. <laughs> into the conversation you know what i mean you can't be like well you're wrong like yeah it, it wasn't racist yeah <laughs> you're just like well i guess we disagree on what racism is then okay well then that's and that's kind of where it ends but in terms of like actually posting it they only hate it when people take like an angle that can be viewed that way like yeah. uh that guy that wrote women don't understand what good don't appreciate good fellas like that's when you get hate yeah well that was that was one of the dumbest things i've ever seen it's like I don't think you understand the movie, but whatever. Yeah, but, true, I, true. I mean, that's, that's, yeah, with music criticism, it's like it, it's music criticism has devolved to such a thing where I I think that film reviews definitely still matter. I think that if a movie is truly eviscerated by the critics, people it tanks. You know, I think that it, it, or at least relatively. I mean, there are sometimes where it overcomes it just based on star power or whatever alone. But there are plenty of movies that are built up as being this massive blockbuster and then you see the Rotten Tomato score of like 22% and no one goes because everyone can look at that and be like, oh, well, literally everyone says it sucks, so it probably isn't worth checking out. But I feel like the difference there is because it costs money. And so, you, so like that's the thing with music. Music is free now. Everyone knows that. It's free or very, very cheap. And so you can easily make up your own mind. And not to mention, there's so many different elements. Like no one looks at a record like as a movie, like a movie is one story with, you know, video and sound and whatever. It's, it's, it's told for a purpose and it's not real and it's meant to entertain. Whereas music is not ever created in that same manner or very rarely is it created in that same manner. Music is created, at least on our level, the level that you and I deal with, is created as an outlet. It's a passion project. It's something that means something or sometimes it's more commercial, but it's never like a 90-minute a rom-com or a popcorn flick. Like you're not meant to sit there and laugh at a record you're meant to absorb it and learn lyrics and blah 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 and so it's such an interesting way that because i feel like music is has always been designed to connect with you on such a deeper personal level and because it's free now that no one cares what critics think because who cares like it doesn't it doesn't cost you anything to prove them wrong whereas with a movie if i read a review you know like sam cohen your friend sam wrote a review for us for jurassic world where he gave it one and a half stars and i'm like damn i want to see this movie but I'm like, if to, in order to prove him wrong, to say that I like it, I have to go drop $12. I'm like, well, maybe I don't want to do that. <laughs> like 12 bucks is a lot of money. So that's that weird challenge with, with, uh, with, with writing, I think, with, with, with criticism. No, you're absolutely right. And something that I think, another thing that film has that music no longer necessarily has because of things like Bandcamp and it's, it's a give and take on good or bad is that like a, a good review can can literally like make or break a film's potential to make money still like if like a festival hit like a film like the overnight with adam scott that comes out next week or whatever on vod and theaters like that only succeeds if it has the positive word of mouth word of mouth still matters to an extent in film we saw like you mentioned a blockbuster that comes out like tomorrowland is a movie that 
everyone thought was going to be huge. And then all the critics were like, eh, I don't really know. And then no one went to see it. And Disney lost $150 million. Wait, that movie already came out? Yeah, it came out like three weeks ago. <laughs> Had no idea. I wanted to see it. See, there oh, you it, go. It looked, it looked so good. And everyone was like, eh. And it went right past you. Son of a bitch. See, but I mean, <laughs> and like Disney has already reported at least $140 million in losses, which is like crazy. But it proves that like they, there's still that critical pull there. Or like I have indie like whenever I start coming up to a festival, like there'll be bands that'll be like, come catch our set. But a filmmaker will be like, I'll send you my movie before we even get to the show. If you need anything like there's a there's still like a fight, like a scrappy fight between up and coming filmmakers to try to get the attention of press because like a well-placed review, even like a like I've had reviews that end up on movie posters and that doesn't happen in albums anymore. Like it's rare to buy a record and they have like a quote on the front of it from yeah, somebody. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it still happens in film all the time. Like it still matters so much there and it's yeah, weird. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, yeah, it's, it's, it makes total sense. You know, it's like even like book reviews, like book reviews still matter. Like if you get right up in the New York, times it means something it means you've gotten somewhere and that's kind of what i've always thought going back to music reviews like that's what i always looked at and i've had publicists tell me before at ap was like even if we get a bad review we got in there because there's so much music coming out nowadays and the process of sharing music has been so democratized where everyone has the ability to get their music literally everywhere in the world. I mean, I run a label, I use my stuff through TuneCore, I put a release up there, and it's in fucking Israel, and Egypt, and Australia, and I mean, and we get we get music, people buying and streaming our music in foreign countries I have never been to, and it's wild to me. And uh, because of all that, like, you know, th there's there's no ability really to like separate the wheat from the chaff. But when you get something into a print magazine, that's what carries the weight still. Which is why I think print still matters because everything is online. But only a small amount of stuff can actually be in a print magazine because there's you know physical limitations. So by making it to a print magazine, it immediately justifies what you've done. Even if they give you a negative review, you were at least notable enough to have ink and paper used to communicate that, you know, whereas there are plenty of things that will never get to that level. Exactly. And that's, yeah, that's something, that's why I, I wanted to ask you to talk about reviews with you because that's something that's why it always bothers me when I see something that's like every single record gets unanimous praise. I'm like, why are you dedicating so much? Like, why not just dedicate this whole section of the magazine to like blank magazine recommends? Because that's essentially what your review section has become is like, here are the bands we back in hopes of, you know, the fans of those bands still continuing to buy our product. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's a challenge. And, and to me, it's like there, there was a lot of pressure sometimes about reviews. Uh, and it's like, who, like it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't, no, one's, no one buys a magazine to read reviews. You know what I mean? Reviews are there, in my opinion, for people who subscribe. Because people who subscribe want to consume new music in every possible form every month or every two months or whenever you publish. Like that's the whole point of what – a, uh, like, like that's why, in my mind, that's why people subscribe to magazines. Because whatever it is they're into, they're into it so much that they want to make sure they never miss it. And so they want to get whatever that update is every couple of months. Um, and so that's what, in my mind, reviews are there for, for people who subscribe, who are constantly wanting to consume new stuff, wanting to be, wanting to be turned on to new stuff. People who buy a magazine at newsstand or buy it in Barnes & Noble or buy it wherever, they're buying it because of the cover. They like the cover artist. Like, you know, we I, we learned over the years at AP that no matter what you put on the inside, no matter how cool it was, if the cover artist didn't connect with your audience, the issue didn't sell that well. Um, just because that you live and die by your cover star, and so you know, we had issues where I remember when we did Johnny Craig on the cover at AP, which was a big debate, and 
you know, it went back and forth for a while, and we ended up doing it. And I, I'm really happy with the way it came out, but that issue just tanked. Nobody wanted to read about Johnny Craig because he just burned he had burned all of his goodwill. You know what I mean? That was after the MacBook thing and all that stuff, and he had gone through rehab, and like people were just like done with this guy. Whereas there was so much cool shit in that issue. We had this huge special in there that all the editors were super proud about and all this stuff. And it's like, it didn't matter. Nobody saw it because nobody bought the issue. Subscribers got it and subscribers loved all the interior content because that's what they're paying for. But like newsstand is very much like, if I like this band, I'll buy it. If I don't, I will not. And it doesn't matter what else you tag on the cover. Nothing else, in my opinion, sells a magazine besides whatever was on the cover. So... Yeah, that's I hadn't really considered that before. I, you know, I'm always curious when you see like those redemption stories because it's like it's the big it's the big story to like have the person talking about whatever the thing is that happened to them. But yeah. it's usually at the tail end of like having burned all of the bridges that they have. Exactly. So it's, it's a risk where it's like, do they have enough public goodwill to get that? And you know, I think we learned that lesson from that one. And then we also we had the whole uh, Tim Lambesis thing when he was being sentenced for the whole attempt to, you know, hire a hitman, blah, blah, blah. We did that online. And that was the biggest story on AP's website for a very long time and very well could still be. I mean, I don't know. I haven't been there for six months, but that story was massive. It was like a bomb went off on our web server. (laughs) And uh, I mean, it was just huge, you know, and that's because that's how people want to consume that stuff. Now they want to know immediately how that celebrity or that whomever is, making contrition or whatever whatever their scenario is, they want to immediately have access to that. And having to go to a newsstand to pay money for that does not interest people. You know, They don't want to have those apologies cost them things. People want apologies for free. They, they'll pay for like the crazy story like, you know, when it's time. So like, you know, when we did um, Motion City Soundtrack on the cover years ago at AP, you know, Justin Pierre had gone through rehab and uh, for like drugs and alcohol and all this kind of stuff. And he told his story and it was very touching and everyone loved it. Um, and it was well received. But had it been a situation where he had like burned the band, like a tour had been canceled because of whatever, you know, he had a problem or something like that. And then like we tried to put him on the cover after that to like apologize for it. it nobody would have bought it because everyone wants to have that apology, that acknowledgement of being, of fucking up. For free, they want to be given that. You know what I mean? That's where that where that difference is. Yeah, definitely. I had yeah. <laughs> you teach me so much every time you come on the show, Scott, oh, about you. the realities of running a publication. Because I come from the online world where it's just like, well, we'll write whatever the hell we want. Yeah. And if if people like it, then they don't, and it doesn't really matter because it's just a front page that changes constantly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. There is no cover. Yeah. Exactly. There is like no long term planning. Really. Yeah. Hit, hit reload and it goes away. So uh, what can we, so you have the Warped Tour issue of Substream right now. Warped Tour is going on. What is, I mean, you can't tell us the cover star, but like when, when is the next issue? Like, well, how's the next issue coming together so far? Uh, it's challenging. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, we, we already have our cover figured out. We have, I have pretty much everything mapped out, but like literally this morning I get an email that one of the bands we are going to be doing a feature on this issue is actually pushing back the record indefinitely because they can't tour on it until next year because of a school conflict. So it's like, well, fuck, we had already shot this band and we had already had a writer. And so now it's like, I got to, you know, once I get off the phone with you, I have to go juggle all this stuff and figure out how to fill a hole. And that's just, that's what, that's what publishing is. It's like, you know, the best laid plans will still always go awry. It doesn't matter. And uh, it's still exciting though. You know, that, that it's, it's piecing together an issue and kind of finding that jigsaw puzzle that makes sense and make sure you cover what you know your core readership is into, but also what you want to turn them on to. So whether it's doing something on Defeater or doing something on Citizen or doing something on The Main, like, okay, like those are all bands that are different aspects of 
punk and and hardcore and whatever and but you how do you convey it in a way to be like it's okay to like all this stuff and i i feel like honestly nowadays it's easier than ever because it's mixtape culture everyone listens to everything you know i in the past two weeks i saw murder by death play a cave in louisville kentucky and then i saw taylor swift you know and like and, and that's okay that's totally okay to see both those things in like a four-day span because it's okay to like everything nowadays there's very little stigma i think nowadays in being a fan of pop music while also being a fan of underground music you know whereas before there was a very clear line in the sand that was drawn when i was growing up you did not like pop music if you started liking green day and the offspring you no longer liked en vogue you no longer liked boys to men you know but nowadays everyone likes everything so it's make it it's made it a much more interesting landscape to write about because even though you like everything do you want to read about everything you know and at substream you know, even though probably a good half of our readership at Substream loves Taylor Swift or they love Katy Perry or they love, you know, whomever, do they want to read about it? And the answer is probably not because that's not the role we're meant to fill. We're meant to fill the underdog. We want to bring new things to light. So that's what I'm focusing on with Substream is things that didn't, haven't gotten their fair share or, or, or a good look, you know, in, in the mainstream culture and how do we kind of elevate that to a spot where they feel like they're, you know, they, they, they get what they deserve, basically. All right. I like the sound of that. I like the sound of that. <laughs> I wanted to thank you because, I mean, for coming on the show, of course, but I had never checked out Choke Up until this week, and that video they put out for Woke Up Drunk that you guys premiered is awesome. So good, right? That so band good. is so good. Yeah. In general. But yeah, anyone listening to this, Substream did the premiere for Woke Up Drunk. It's a fantastic video. And and it's a cool exclusive because it's through Vimeo, which means it's not on YouTube. So not everyone is just copying, pasting it everywhere. Yeah, I'm sure people still are, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it requires like three extra clicks to do so, though, which is a big enough wall for like 80% of the community. Yeah, you know, who knows? It's, it, it's one of the things I've learned in, in the past few months is that like, no matter how much hard work I put into something for the website, it takes one asshole to be like, cut, paste, done. And honestly, that happens with big sites too. I, I see my shit ending up on really big websites and I'm like, and, I, and it's not like one of those things where it's like, I know everyone reported it. Like, no, I reported it. I found the story, whatever it was. And to see it end up at, at very big websites without like, uh, a, like a, a citation or an acknowledgement of where it came from, I'm like, fuck you, buddy. Like, I don't work for you. Like, you, you should, you know, give credit where credit is due. And uh, it's, you don't want to get like an ego about that kind of stuff. And it's like, you know, if people are listening and they're out there and they're running websites, the least you could do is cite where things come from because we're all in this together at the end of the day. So let's try to be nice to each other, you know, and that's not steal. No more stealing. So I think uh, having your awesome news story is like a stolen as a rite of passage in online music writing. So <laughs> well, it, the thing is, yeah, I mean, it means you're doing something right. It absolutely means you're doing something right. But just like, man, like, come on. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I put a lot of hard work into finding that Cody Payne mugshot. You know, so I mean, and it's weird because sometimes you will get cited and it'll be for like the most ridiculous thing that maybe you found the point on Twitter and you made a story out of it and then you'll get like the link from Rolling Stone. But then when you actually put in the effort, never happens. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Never. You know, it, it, what, what are you going to do? It's, it's the Internet. What are you going to do? It's, it's yeah, that's life in blogging. Yeah. I mean, it's still the, the funniest thing ever is that like the biggest story on our website since I've taken over in February, the biggest story we've ran was this random video I found of some dude that turned a Marilyn Manson song into a ska song. Like, he took the vocals from a Marilyn Manson song, but then made a ska track to play underneath it. And I was like, this is pretty funny. This will fill the website for today. Post. 
and it's our biggest story of the history of the website and nobody else ever it was it was only via facebook nobody else ever like reported it because it wasn't news it was just like here's your dumb video for today watch this video and it just caught fire so it's just it's hilarious that like i could put so much effort into like the super hard-hitting news story and it gets 500 views and then i can post marilyn manson ska song and it gets 100,000. so what are you gonna do it's it's true i it's i almost hate to look at the stats some days because i'm just like i know whatever's number one is dumb because i know like <laughs> i know whatever the thing is i wrote and spent a lot of time on has like no traction yet yeah. so you're like it's gonna be something pointless that i spent 30 seconds on yep <sighs> yep and to me that's the same way as like when you ask a band about like you know like yes jimmy at world about how they wrote the middle they're like oh it was the last time we wrote it took five minutes or like when newfound glory wrote my friends over you the big story about that is like oh yeah that was like the last day of production we're like oh let's write one more song and that's what they wrote it's like the the biggest things are usually the ones that take the less the least amount of effort which is just hilarious so and you can't but you cannot have that outlook on life or else it doesn't work out i know you you the best thing is you have to put in all the effort to eventually have that one moment of of where you're just exhausted like fuck it here's this and then everyone loves that one thing so you have to expend all your reserves before you get that no effort that uh that no effort bump i think that's that's probably a good place to cap this because that's the best advice anyone's gonna get especially <laughs> for working in the music industry yes so if they took the time to listen for an hour now they took, they took a whole hour to listen to this bullshit there's your advice stop listening there's your takeaway from this whole thing stop yeah stop listening now go ahead it was all a waste of time it's all a waste of time uh so where so where can people keep up with you just get i know that we've already talked about where people can get substream and stuff but like if they want to keep up with scott heisel where can they do that yeah uh i'm very active on twitter you can follow me at scott heisel h-e-i-s-e-l uh i run the substream social media accounts too on facebook and twitter and tumblr and instagram so I'm always posting stuff on those, whether it's videos at a show or photos or you know whatever kind of stuff. So I'm always on those things. Um, I have a label called Youth Conspiracy Records. We talked about that before. Uh, we just put out a new seven inch, a split seven inch rather, between a band called Meridian, who are from Cleveland, and a band called Pinch Hitter, who are from Australia. That was pretty fucking cool to have a transatlantic or transpacific, I guess, transpacific split seven inch. So you can go to youthconspiracyrecords.com to see what we put out there. Um, have a podcast called Best, Best Bed Western, which publishes every other Friday. Uh, you can go to Facebook slash Best Bed Western, Twitter slash Best Bed Western, or email us at bestmidwestern at gmail.com to talk to us that way. I think that's everything. I don't know. Do I need to plug anything else? It's probably everything. Uh, real quick, is, is it true? I'm about to do, we're about to do our first split for Antique. Is it true that they're basically zero profit endeavors? Oh, I mean, just seven inches in general, they're zero profit endeavors. It's, it's your, true. Your, you're, you, you'd be better off piling up a thousand dollars and lighting it on fire, um, but but it's great. You know, what I mean, it's one of those things where like the songs were so good, I could not do it. I mean, like literally, like if you want to get like the nuts and bolts of it, like the cost, my cost per record is like four seventy five, like just cost, and, that, and that's not wholesale. That's like that's literally like what it cost me to fucking produce the goddamn record. So it's like, what do you sell it for? Like six dollars. So then you're making a dollar twenty five, but then. You had to buy a mailer and packing tape and a label and drive to the post. Like that, you lose money on every single record, but it's worth it because that's what, that's what it's all about, man. It's like you know, I don't put out records to make money. It's just it's a happy byproduct. Sometimes I put out records because I like the songs. So and that's that's and that's, that's you know that's 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 life. You know, if if I was in life to make money, I wouldn't be in the music industry. So I'd be a banker. 
I'd be an insurance salesman, you know? Yeah, we've had a couple of things fail at and some things that didn't sell as well. And I was talking to somebody about it the other day and I were talking about like co-owning their label and everything. And they're like, so you guys just split everything? And I was like, we don't split anything. We, yeah. make, we make records and then we both have a name attached to some debt. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> much it. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, I, I, just, I just put in a credit card payment yesterday for my, my label credit card. And I'm only, I think right now, only $4,000 in debt right now on that credit that's card. That's about so, where I'm at. Yeah, that's not bad. That's, it could so be a lot bad. worse. It was a lot worse for a long time. So it's it's only so if you want to help me out with lowering my debt, I would really appreciate it. Go to youthconspiracyrecords.com and and buy all my records, and I will send them to you with a bow on top. And that that's seven inches out now. You said yes, it is the Meridian Pitch Hitter Split Seven Inch, and all of our stuffs on iTunes and Spotify, and you know we we put out some Weatherbox records, some Saint Hood Reps records. We did um, the famous Weatherbox personnel split. We did um, the band Foreign Tongues, who are now on No Sleep and have their new album coming out in a few months. Uh, we did their first two seven inches, which, which is really cool. They're a great band from uh, like New Hampshire, Boston area. So yeah, lots of cool stuff. Check it out. We're on Bandcamp, youthconspiracy.bandcamp.com. So you can go hear our music for free too. So. All right. Well, that's uh, thanks so much for coming on again, Scott. I like chatting with you. Hopefully we'll actually get to hang, maybe fashion yeah. meets music. At the end yeah, of the pos- it's entirely possible. It's entirely possible. Yeah, I, I mean, I assume. Are you going to cover Riot Fest? Ah, uh, we don't know yet. I'd love to. Um, <laughs> right now, right now, I want to make sure we can get down to the fest down in Gainesville. That's my next goal. I'd love to do Riot Fest. I'd love to do this fucking Taste of Chaos. And it's not dead. You know, there are only so many hours in the day and only so many frequent flyer miles I have. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see where I get this fall, but I'll certainly be around. All right, man. Well, you have a great day. Thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right, dude. Have a good week. Cool. Try to test my skill Cause I'm thinking about all the people I've had And the suckers I've verbally killed It's a rough redemption 